The following is intended for mature audiences only. Discretion is advised. Didn't like the the Clinton administration say something about like the songs that were happening on on Power Rangers? Yeah, they were, uh, you know, there was a whole thing going on with Al Gore's wife at that time. He was a VP to Clinton and Clinton, all the Clinton fundraisers were done at Saban's house in the nineties. And the heat was getting a little hotter with people thinking the music from power Rangers or why their kids are beating the hell out of each other, which is absurd. Yeah. Why would they do that with a song called go, go, go combat? Why would, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, really? I guess I should have said, go, go, go help your sister. What's up, besties? Welcome back to another episode of Child Like a Best with Mike Valdez. I am still the second part of that title. Boy, oh boy, am I excited about today's episode. Today's episode is Ron Wasserman. Ron is a composer who has made so many amazing compositions and music for things that you may have heard of, like Power Rangers, Dragon Ball Z, uh, one of the most famous animated TV show theme songs, the X-Men animated series, that was Ron. I'm genuinely so lucky that I got to talk to him. It was such a thrill. He told me so many stories from writing songs for Power Rangers and some of the problems that he had even with the Clinton administration because of the way that he was writing the songs, uh, as well as how he wrote the X-Men theme song and Dragon Ball Z Ace Ventura, so many cool things. And it was such a fun, fun conversation. And in fact, I don't want to hold you much longer here. The only thing that I want to say is that if you want to support the show, please subscribe, tell a friend and Also, we're on YouTube, so make sure that you're watching the YouTube video. If you're listening, that's totally fine, too. Also, if you want to support, we have merch. You can go to childlikewonder.co. There's so many awesome pieces there. I'm actually wearing one of them right now. It's the Viewmaster crew neck right there that says Childlike Wonder. Uh, But again, you can go to childlikewonder.co. There's the whole collection. Like I said, I don't want to hold you any longer. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the very talented Ron Wasserman. I usually like to start this podcast by asking my guests, where did they grow up? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, just outside of Los Angeles. Okay. Back when when you could actually drive anywhere in los angeles <laughs> right yeah that's a wild uh, that's a wild thing to think right now yeah oh it's crazy so uh, yeah i'm a Calif- southern california native one of the few that's i don't know where everybody went but i rarely meet anybody that was born and raised here wow i i love that and like what kind of kid would you say that you were growing up like could you just sit with at the lunch table and all that kind of thing I was the kid who was the artist, so okay. I was the non-sports guy. Right. I was the guy who couldn't ride a skateboard. So what I would do is uh, I was the guy who would make movies of the kids on their skateboards and make Heck friends yeah. with everybody who was a badass. <laughs> yeah. And that way when I sat at the lunch table 
And if anybody was coming over to harass me, there was a whole group of people that would come over and uh, make sure I wasn't harassed. <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. That is the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I definitely relate to that too, because skating was a really big thing when I was in high school and, or at least middle school because of the Tony Hawk pro skater games. And I was just so bad at it, man. And I, one of those things too, that I found out was uh, I have a very uh, low pain tolerance and you need an extremely <laughs> high pain tolerance if you want to be a skateboarder. So, yeah. so yeah, I was very much that guy that I would hang out with the skateboard kids and like, you know, I was kind of the funny kid as well. So I would always tell jokes to kind of chameleon my way into every kind of group. Right. I feel like every artist is kind of like that, right? Where you kind of just can chameleon your way into everyone, you know? Yeah, you don't want people to kick your ass. So you make exactly. friends with the people who are tough. <laughs> exactly. You're absolutely right. That's so funny. Um, yeah, man. I I love that so much. So it's it's so funny because, like, you know, you you for for people that may not know Ron Wasserman is the composer uh, extraordinaire of many many uh different theme songs and different scores of projects that you may have seen uh like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and and quite honestly all the Power Ranger series right the uh, Zio and all that stuff yeah the first 4 or 5 years and then back in uh 2005 for SPD and then back for the uh, 30 year special where they used the original theme, but it was so fun to score that. So oh, fun. yeah, I, I actually just was watching it in preparation for this and it is phenomenal because it, you, you found a way to like bring back the nostalgia of course, but also have these beautiful beats because there's a lot more drama in this special than usual. And so you, yeah. you found a lot of ways to put like emotional things into it and it kind of, you know, music. It's so funny, man. I, I found when I was a kid, um, I, <laughs> I was, I had a music teacher who, showed us Tom and Jerry with no music. And then mm -hmm. he was like, this is how important music is to TV and to cartoons. It's a perfect example. Yeah. That and old stuff. Yeah. It wouldn't work. Yeah. It just, it, there was no comedy at all. You just felt yeah. bad for the cat. You know what I mean? Like, and then when there is, when there is music, you're like, Oh, like this is all a joke. And like, you know, okay, I right. get this now. And that's what's, it's so funny how music can like do that to you. So in, in fact, so much so that you wrote songs that made kids want to punch each other. And, uh, and just, yeah, sorry about that. No, you're all good, man. You're all good. Um, and uh and in fact one of my and and I have to talk to you about this um cuz I have a bone to pick with you Ron uh you taught you you gave so many people the inkling or or the the uh 
what's it called? The hankering to want to learn how to play electric guitar uh, because of that Power Rangers theme. And I found out there's no guitars in that theme at all. (laughs) I can't play I can't play a note, but I've fooled I've fooled the best. I've fooled uh, I I once long story short. Yeah. So I'm, I meet Eddie Van Halen. I'm up at his house. He was married to Valerie Bertinelli and he handed me a guitar and wanted to see how I played that theme because he had to learn it for his son, Woofy, who oh, said, yeah. Dad, learn this groove. And I handed him back the guitar and went to the piano and played the played the rhythm and he just looked at me like you've got to be kidding me that is so funny man i mean because like because you do you imagine like a metal guy like shredding you know just you know but then like it's so funny how like you know back then you know and I mean, as far as I know, this was back in what the the nineties when you made this. Oh yeah, it was ninety ninety three, I think. When so it was yeah, all I like wrote that theme. Oh, it was a nightmare. I'm sure. Yeah, we had two two um, uh, two giant two inch tape machines that had to sync. Yeah. To everything, so when I was doing the vocals or anything, you had to roll back thirty forty seconds, hit play. Hope to God everything locked up. And then you're listening, listening. Let's say I just wanted to punch one line in, which means I just hit record and then tap myself out of recording. The slightest mistake, got to go back and redo it again. Roll back 30, 40 seconds. Wait for it. It was just, you know, for for the time, it felt very badass because you're in a giant studio and you have all this gear and everything was really fun. But in hindsight, what a nightmare. I would die Absolutely. if I had to do that now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Technology has made it to where we can do that on our iPhones now. You know, like it's yeah. wild. I mean, sure, it won't sound as great as, you know, using Pro Tools and things like that. But we can technically do it, you know, on our iPhones if we wanted. Believe me, it works. I was working with this guy, Cedric the Entertainer. Love him, and I, I played him. I sent him the instrumental track. He's in his car. He listens to it. The guy is just from another planet. Yeah. He listens to it, and then he just takes his phone and records the vocal. And I, it, it was like 30, 40 seconds. He, had, he hit the exact tempo. He never really drifted. I only had to move a little bit. He sends me that from his phone, and that was the final vocal we used on this track for his TV show. Amazing. I love like, that. why do I even have a microphone anymore? <laughs> Just recording your phone. It sounded great, too. You couldn't yeah. tell. That's so funny, man. Yeah, how technology has changed because, like, yeah, the that that tape, that, that record to tape really was difficult. I mean, granted, I wasn't producing back then, but I definitely remember – like recording like vocal stuff on it and right, it right, was right. wild man so crazy um you know i going back to childhood i wanted to ask you kind of a lighthearted question here what were your favorite sure. snacks growing up oh i remember we didn't have many uh but i would yeah. say uh hostess cupcakes were probably the thing Yes, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Where's the cream filling? Yeah, I uh, where's the cream filling. I love it. Yeah, man. It's uh that it. You know, I, we talk about this a lot on our podcast on my podcast, but 
hostess and many of the snacks that we weren't allowed to have when we were growing up is comes from the age of the what i call the radioactive sludge era of food (laughs) where like oh man that stuff was pure poison yeah (laughs) yeah because we were so it really was yeah it was absolutely awful for us and if you eat that now it'll ruin your day Yeah, I just yeah. walk by it and see it, and I'm like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy, man. I mean, and you know, funny enough, like you know, uh, I I actually remember Hostess doing, you know, the Ninja Turtle ones, and like I'm sure they had a Power Rangers version of everything because, dude, they put Power Rangers on everything. I had Power Rangers shampoo. Everything. I got a funny I, story about that. So please, I. I met the guy, uh, he was uh, friends, uh, he was playing in a band with my ex-wife, a great, uh-huh. great guy. And he went in just at the very beginning of Power Rangers, and he was able to secure all the rights for a fee to license the image for food packaging. So he rolled the dice thinking the show may turn into something. And mm. uh, so he said, we put it on everything. Everything, yeah. everything. I said, I remember walking in the market and saying, oh, Power Rangers mac and cheese. And it was yep. really mostly on a bunch of junk food, but of course. it was pretty funny. It was very yeah. funny. It was a great gold mine for him. In fact, uh, let me let me see. Let me uh, let me see if I can share with you. I have a couple things here. Um, so. There's some Power Rangers cereals that we have here. Oh uh, yeah. There's the there's the Power Rangers oatmeal. <laughs> How wild is oh, this? Oh god. <laughs> yeah, like oh, Power that's Rangers. Wonderful. Yeah, Power Rangers oatmeal. Um, here's Power Rangers uh, ninja ninjasio or Ninja Storm. There it is. Um, Cause <laughs> the people's heads are covering it. I couldn't see it. Um, <laughs> and then funny enough, these are some cereals we've reviewed on the podcast, the red Ranger cereal, which is now going for almost $50 um, on eBay and, uh, and the green Ranger cereal as well. Uh, that's going yeah. for $55 on eBay. I mean, it's just nuts, man. Like they, they had all this stuff. Yeah, you know, they had it's, so much stuff. I mean, it's everybody it's, wanted something to do with it, right? Yeah, one of my one of my stories is that you know, kind of, it's funny, man. Like I, it was it, when I was a kid. I, I was a big Power Rangers fan, of course, as every '90s kid was. But um, you know, the the toys were such a huge deal like the toys that their heads flipped and like the megazords and like all that stuff um which by the way did your music have anything to do with that uh with those commercials or anything like that i think sometimes they would use stuff and once in a while they would just come in and say we need uh something that sounds like the theme for a 30 second commercial so right have at it and they will cut to whatever you do. So I would just yeah. bang something out. That that kind of stuff took me good half hour. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm I'm just glad that at least you got a cut of it because that's the thing is like a lot of the actors like Walter Jones has said I didn't even get 
I was I didn't even get a free version of my toy. Like I didn't even get to play. Oh no, the video no, game. same with me. No, same with me. This was all all everything was bought out. I had no idea how big even things were. Well, I got a notion of how big the show was, but that was right. the deal at 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 Saban Entertainment. And for the mm-hmm. actors, it was all non-union and your rights were taken but for me it was like getting paid to go to college because it got me in the television so it got me in the scoring and then when i left the phone never stopped it's never stopped ringing i'm sure so it's been great yeah absolutely and and yeah the uh, actors really got yeah they they if if it had been a union show for those guys oh my gosh yeah they'd still be making money Yeah, I mean, it's it's nuts. The amount of like, which, you know, it, it makes plenty of sense as to like why they merchandised everything and like all that stuff, because they're just like, well, let's make money off of this as much as we can. In fact, I remember um, a live tour. Wasn't there a live tour that the Power Rangers did? Oh, yeah, that was a nightmare for me. Absolute nightmare. Really? Please tell me. Funny, <laughs> I no, would love nobody's to brought that up. The... Uh, there was a gal hired to choreograph everything. Yeah. And I kept, and the deadline, I mean, this was a hard deadline. This thing was going on the road. And, right. uh, and I could not get any timings out of her. I needed to say, like, okay, scene one is how long? Three minutes. And I need to know when you're choreographing, what's hitting where. And I'll just visualize it and I'll write the music. And she just wouldn't give me the notes. So I just wow. went ahead and scored the entire thing and handed it to her and said, now you're going to choreograph to what I think it's going to be. And I remember going through the run through and Heim Saban's there and, you know, everybody's gathered around him. I was always very honest with him and everybody's gathered around and he goes, Wasserman! And he screams (laughs) and I run over. He goes, I can't do a good Heim impression, but he goes, what the fuck is this? This is the Wasserman (laughs) show? What the whole fucking thing? And I said, I just, I flat out busted the gal. She was right there. I said, I couldn't get the timings from her. You need to start rehearsals. That's how it is. And he looked at me and he said, good man. And then he took her and he said, let's talk. And they walked off and I went. And from that point on, all I heard is that she hated my guts. But I did nothing wrong. But that's the business. You did nothing wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, you did nothing wrong. You were just doing your job. I mean, I was begging for the notes. Know. Give me the notes. Give me the timings, please. Yeah, how wild is that, man? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really funny. I yeah. love that. There's, yeah, I forgot about that till you mentioned it. Yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to it. I mean, I don't remember much, but I I remember going to it and. Um, yeah, it's just uh it's wild. Like they had literally everything. I mean, you know, they were they, I mean, I had a Power Rangers birthday party like when I was in 8 years old. Like, oh yeah. I mean, they were just they were everywhere. They were literally everywhere. I mean, it's wild. There was a Macy's Day Parade float like so much so, you know, so much stuff. Um and uh I mean, I'm sure there still is like for for years they've had like those macy's balloons you know or whatever but it's just wild man and uh, i remember the macy's day parade first time i saw that i went wow yeah yeah (laughs) this is something else 
Yeah, it's it's nuts, man. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you've created so much of people's fandoms, at least in my generation and younger. And I would want to know what your fandoms were when you were growing up. What were the TV shows that uh, that you got into? Even music. Like, what are some bands that made you want to start writing music? Well, I actually started playing when I was three and writing when I was five. So I kind of wow. started creating almost out of the box. Uh, that is it was just, and, and my influences were, uh, cause my dad hated listening to music on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have that song like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And he would hit the dash and go, I know already and go back to the news. <laughs> so I was on my own listening yeah. to music. But luckily, you know, I, my uncle would give me his radios. He would buy me little radios and then I had a ham radio or shortwave and started listening to stuff down in Mexico and South America. And I was really big on George Gershwin, but I was also listening to pop. So I was into some pop. And then I started finding uh, the heavy metal shit for that time. Like Black Sabbath was a huge influence and Led Zeppelin. And I mean, those were like the Kings. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant guitar playing, brilliant songwriting, and just nasty, dirty stuff. Just I, yeah. I adored it. But and and to today, I'll be in the car and say, um, play play classical, and then I'll go like, eh, I go like, let's hear straight out of Compton. Yeah. So you know, now you just talk to your phone, and so and I'm sure people look over. I'm just blasting straight out of Compton. They're probably like, oh, my God, there's somebody, a gang member next to me. If they look over, like, why is that old white guy listening to it? So it's it's always the same. It's it's the it's whatever mood I'm in at the moment. And then. Sure. It's never changed. Yeah. It's- and television shows, they had. uh Silly comedies. I know I was very much into Saturday afternoons on KTLA. I think it was Channel 5 out here. They uh-huh. had, they would show old movies, anything okay. from Abbott and Costello, which I was really not into, to, uh, uh, you know, old Humphrey Bogart stuff. It was stuff before my time. And I really got into those scores behind yeah. these things. And then the silliness on, on network sitcoms. Of course. Yeah. But there was no real standouts. It was just diverse. Right. Yeah, man. It's, it's so funny that you say that because like, you know, musicians are so like vast in like their knowledge of music because like, you know, so many people will be like, oh, well, why would a Justin Bieber listen to metal or whatever the case? And it's like, you know, people like that, people that create music, listen to yeah. everything, man. Like, that's the whole reason why, you know, I mean, even I, I was just watching this on YouTube and it was so funny. It was, uh, can you spot the difference between a Taylor Swift lyric and a Bring Me the Horizon lyric? Which, you know, Bring mm. Me the Horizon is a metal band. And they like, and nine times out of ten, when you think it's a metal lyric, it's a Taylor Swift lyric. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like right. and that's and that's the whole thing because like 
there everybody it's any musician that's worth their weight in salt like loves so many different styles of music and that's what we bring into to to make who we are as our individual person as a as a guitar player or as a pianist or as a singer or whatever the case you know and yeah and we're like vacuum cleaners we suck up little bits of everything and it goes in our heads and we that's a use great way it to when we it. need to use it yeah that's a but, great uh, i do appreciate people who are like walking encyclopedias and can listen to anything and go oh this solo that so-and-so did that guested on this song and that was recorded in. I'm like, I don't know any, I like the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly can, I'm pretty nerdy about that stuff, but I, I don't know everything, you know, like, like, I mean, I know it's like, great that you, know, you do though. Yeah. I mean, I know that Eddie Van Halen played in thriller, but, or, or beat it, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, like little. Yeah, he told like me that. about that session. I, he told me about that. Oh yeah. He said he walked well, in and they just said they just said he goes. They ran down the track. He said it wasn't really done, and and I think Quincy Jones just said kind of come in here and be a Eddie Van Halen. He's and he went okay, and apparently he just did it in one take, and that was it. Wow. That's he said, awesome. I just blew that out. And I think he did a few other flourishes here and there throughout the song. But he said, yeah, I just did it. And uh, <laughs> and then he goes, then later on, I get a call to play with this guy, Yo-Yo Ma. And I say, <laughs> no, it turns it down. He goes, I had no idea he was a cello player. I thought he was a rapper and I didn't want to play with a rapper. <laughs> Yo-Yo Ma, the rapper. <laughs> Could you imagine what Eddie and Yo-Yo Ma could have done together? That I mean, would have been that would have been nuts. I mean, it's like I, yeah, it's like finding out um uh the last song that was supposed to be on Thriller was with Freddie Mercury but it didn't make the album. And so you're just like if that song had been released, it would have literally been a perfect album. Like <laughs> I yeah. mean, he had everybody on that record. Paul McCartney was on that record. Like Eddie Van Halen, like everybody was on Thriller, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's crazy. I love I love that story. Oh, I would love um, to hear that track with Freddie Mercury. Boy, I bet that's something. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I know I, I was watching a documentary on Thriller. That's how I found out about it. And um and yeah, I don't think I'm sure it's in a vault somewhere and we might hear it someday. But uh, as of right it, now, I think it would have happened. It would have happened. There's got to be Michael Jackson or maybe Freddie Mercury or who knows, or yeah. they must have said never release this. And if that's how it's documented, they can never release it until somebody yeah. breaks into the vault and right. transfers the tracks to Pro Tools and just releases it. Yeah, and that's a heist movie I want to see. <laughs> that, would, that would be a great heist movie to steal all these masters, unreleased yeah. masters from famous bands. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steal all the unreleased masters from Prince. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> like, just his random, like, vocal sessions. Because he, he uh, I don't know if you knew this about Prince, but Prince had a microphone in every room in his house 
So like if he had a good idea, he could just sing it and then it would show up in the studio. So like just these random like, you know, Prince was taking a deuce and then he just sings a song. You know what I mean? Like how cool would that be? You know? Um, but yeah, uh, I wanted to move on to our next bit here. Um, okay. usually on this podcast, we like to talk about cereal because cereal is, I feel like the most all encompassing food of childhood, at least, you know, on Saturday morning, you would oh, have yeah. your cereal, you'd watch your cartoons. Um, what were your favorite cereals growing up and what were your favorite cartoons oh. growing up? Oh, man. Uh, Captain Crunch was probably my favorite, but I had a weird thing. I didn't like crunchy anything. So even though it's called Captain Crunch, I would Mm. put in the milk and I would let it sit for like 15 minutes till it became Captain Mush. And then that's what I enjoyed. So it was a bowl of, of squishy sugar. Gotta be honest, though, that consistency is still pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not that bad. <laughs> I love so that. So I think that and- I remember having a lot of Captain Crunch and then cartoons. Wow. You know, there was so much live action, ironically, yeah. when I was a kid. So, you know, all the old Warner Brothers stuff I really loved because the scores were crazy. Yeah. And then I ended up watching these live action Saturday morning shows like HR puff and stuff. And okay, yeah, you know, and something called land of the lost, which later they made a movie of. They sure did. And, yeah, and it was horrible. And, and, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what else. So it was just, I was into that fantasy puppetry, ironically later on with power Rangers kind of stuff when I was a kid, of course that yeah. was, and you know, the music was silly, but it was a lot of fun. But as far as animation, I don't remember having particularly favorite cartoons. Man, how weird is that? I I wonder when that started then, because when I was a kid, that was like they would just your your entire Saturday was animated stuff. So like, I mean, really, oh, well, Power Rangers. Better. Yeah, I mean, Power Rangers was was like the only live action thing I really remember, you know, being on the Saturday, um, which I think, well, actually I'm wrong. Saved by the bell probably as well was, was a live action thing. Um, but yeah, like power Rangers was, was one of the, the forefronts, but what's great about that show is like, it's basically a cartoon with real people in it, you know, yeah. <laughs> because there's so much like puppetry happening and like, you know, and, and Rita has these little toys that explode and become these big giant monsters and like, you know, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it was perfect. I, it was perfect. Yeah. I love that so much. Um, in fact, I wanted to talk to you about how you kind of got uh not not in trouble but like didn't didn't like the the clinton administration say something about like the songs that were happening on on power rangers yeah they were uh you know there was a whole thing going on with al gore's wife at that time he was Mm. a vp to clinton and clinton all the clinton fundraisers were done at saban's house in the 90s if yeah. anytime he was in town, he stayed at Himes. Well, I don't know if he stayed there, but all the fundraisers were there. So, and 
the heat was getting a little hotter with people thinking the music from Power Rangers or why their kids are beating the hell out of each other, which is right. absurd. And, yeah, why would they do that and, with a song called Go, Go, Go Combat? Why would... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I guess I should have said, Go, Go, Go Help Your Sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, the head of music came in and said, um, we're getting in trouble. And so without saying it directly, it was basically the, the, the White House has asked if we could get rid of words like fight and combat, anything that incites violence and stop using minor chords. Right. Start using major chords with a, a bigger smile. So. I just, I considered it a, a holy shit moment. Of course. <laughs> and I went, okay. And I just said, I'll do it. And then things get more positive, even though they still have kind of a direct message in them. Yeah. Because all these, not all, but most of these songs are all about my personal experiences. So right. not the theme, Absolutely. obviously. No, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, you didn't know Power Rangers growing up? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So with those and, and, and with having to turn everything into major keys and everything, what kind of songs did you write? I know I Will Win was one of them, right? Yeah, it turned into I Will Win. And um, even though I snuck in some minors, you know, We Need a Hero. Yeah. And uh, even uh, Cross My Line is all pretty much major chords but with a and that didn't seem like too harsh of a message that right. was really kind of a uh but all these songs were about my experience i will win was about uh or cross my line i can't remember one of them or both of them they're both about not getting the film because i had the the film they shot for 20th century fox yeah i had met with them they had sent me the dailies, meaning stuff that they shoot and they're roughly putting together. We all agreed that it will be scored exactly like the television show. I scored it. Fox loved what I did. And then, um, as I heard, again, Saban didn't want my name on as composer, as it wasn't on the series. And 20th Century Fox said, no, we're union. And his name will be on it. And so uh, I got kicked off for that reason. What a bummer, man. Oh, my now, God. Now, Saban came to me and said, I said, I, I said, I'm sorry that it didn't work out. And he goes, well, you're no John Williams. And I just at that moment, I just said, I am I am almost out of here because I wanted to say you're no Walt Disney. But right. it was just one of those rubs. But he knew if I if my name appeared on that, that everybody and they didn't even let me sing the song, the remake of the theme. And I knew yeah. Matt Sorum, who drummed on it. They wouldn't even let me go to the session. I mean, it was just weird. It was getting weird. Yeah. No, I you know, it's so man, Ron, I I'm I'm connecting with you so much on this because that though I haven't had that exact moment, I've had moments like that as an artist where I'm just like, you know what, man? Like it, it's that I'll show them mentality. It's like, no man, fuck you. Like I yeah. am going to do this. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and, and in a way something beautiful came out of it, which is so cool. You know, oh, like you were oh, able. It, it, 
Yes, absolutely. And I have no animosity whatsoever. It was just a moment. Stuff happens. I was incredibly run down from years of doing 70, 80 hour weeks and just, yeah, just hit a point. And, oh, I remember. So after that, I had gone with my, uh, then wife, we were flying back from the East Coast. And I just remember looking out the window at the wing and just going into this trance of this, what the hell's going on in my life? And then all of a sudden we were landing, which has never happened to me in my life. And that's when I really knew. And I went in and had a conversation with Haim a few days later and just, and then we couldn't come to terms. And I said, I'm leaving. And then I yeah. continued to work from for them on and off from home. But yeah. two weeks later, after leaving, I was working with this guy, Bob Ezrin, who produced The Wall and all this Alice Cooper. I was never a fan of Alice Cooper, but right. the guy's a genius and he has a gaming company. And now I'm scoring Tamaguchi and Ace Ventura sure are, and yeah. uh, Monty Python. And then yeah. they introduced me to this guy, John Anderson, who's a lead singer for Yes. I spent two years with him doing a couple indie records in his living room. And it was just like such a, and then I'm in also scoring Dragon Ball Z at home. And I, I mean, know, it was yeah. just, I was all over the map. It was yeah. great. In in fact, all that you're, that you're saying, though incredible, um, the X-Men theme, man, like that X-Men theme is like one of the greatest themes in animation history, <laughs> you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a, I mean, that's a strong one. I mean, and was this after you worked with Saban or was this during that time? No, that was that was prior to Power Rangers. Was that was actually what got me from mixing for the other composers, which was the first thing I did for my first three years there and submitting stuff and having some really great producers there at Saban break me of the songwriting format, taught me more about scoring. And then I got little bits and pieces in some of their direct to home video but but x-men was the day i officially became a television composer and then i went from that day until june of 2018 with two one week breaks and although i've still done a ton since it hasn't been seven days a week i can actually go out of town for a weekend now sometimes (laughs) Yeah, I have a bit more I mean, free time. I can go to the gym every day. I can hike. Yeah, it's not like yeah, it was. Yeah, I know, man. I mean, so much so that you can give me a little bit of your time to do this podcast, which is really nice. You know? Um, yeah, I'm but, not. St- I'm not stuck just sitting in front of a computer and keyboard, right? Starting at nine a.m. because because that whole thing, even uh, and I would still find time to do stuff you know, raising my son who's now 19, but um, I would start every morning at 9am, go to five or six, go home, hang out with him for two, three hours, go back, work till midnight and did that on weekends. I tried to limit it to, uh, you know, cause he was so young. I would try to limit it to maybe 1pm to 6pm Saturday and Sunday and, and spend time with him. And sometimes I'd be back in Sunday nights at, 10, 11 at night with notes on something I was scoring and work all night so that I could go to the mix stage in Hollywood and Monday, then run home and start scoring the other show I was working on. Yeah, man, that is so, a crazy schedule. Holy cow. But it's so fun. 
I know. It's still, yeah. Well, it's that's so fun. Of course, man. I mean, it's it's one of those things when, like, you know, as it's weird because it sounds corny, but the corniest things are true. You know, like when you do the thing that you love, you never have to work another day in your life. You know, it's true. It's like, yeah, it is true, man. I mean, and I can say that as a comedian, as an actor that like, that is my full time job. And I am really happy doing it. You know, sure. There's things about it that I don't like, but it's it's all worth it for the re- the reasons that I do like it, you know? Yeah, the creative process is the gold. Mm. The fixing or not fixing the constant because my system is, it, you know, doesn't look complicated, but it is the constant updates or finding out, okay, uh, I'm writing stuff this week. There's the writer's strike going on. So now I'm doing yep. a bunch of reality TV stuff, trying to figure out why – this part is suddenly out of sync. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I know all the work run. Those are the parts that are a pain in the ass, naming stuff, doing cue sheets, delivering yeah. you know, separate sounds, stems for everything. That's all the boring stuff, backing right. everything up, categorizing everything. But the actual process of working is just the best. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I wanted I wanted to go back to how you said you were talking about scoring Ace Ventura. Um, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, can you tell me about that process? Like, what was that like? And if you remember, it anything, was. If you, uh, I don't remember much about any of those games because they were PC games, and back right. then you had very very limited memory for the music, okay. and it all had to be done with sound cards that were put in PCs that used something called general MIDI. And I think you had a choice of a hundred, I can't remember, maybe 122 absolutely horrid lame sounds, just (laughs) terrible, cheesy, terrible sounds. So you have to use those. And then they, they would come back and say, we need this and we can loop it at certain parts. You know, we're right into the software because you we need this scored, but you have, I can't remember, like 12 kilobits of yeah. space for the music in this, which is not even a, a finger snap recorded now is bigger than right. everything's bigger than that. So it's you had true, to work yeah. within these real restrictions, but I did and tried to make it sound as good as I could. And that's how those games were. Now, of course, you know, you could have a fork, you could have anything. It's unlimited memory now. Yeah, of course. Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, um, and what's it, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about scoring, uh, Dragon Ball Z as well. And, uh, how long were, did you score Dragon Ball Z through its whole run or? First three years. First they, three years. They called, Saban had called one day and said, and said, we have this show that nobody gives a damn about. You want to do it? And I said, <laughs> sure. And so, they would send me a VHS tape. I was renting this little apartment in, in by Beverly Hills High School and at a 19-inch tube television, a VHS player. And on one side would be the time code, so everything would lock. Right. Which is, you know, if you've ever listened to the time code, it's like, Aah! it's this yeah. horrible screech, which bled through to the dialogue track, but you ignored it. I think I had one keyboard, a sampler, whatever Mac was the best at that time, 
and I would just bang out the scores and deliver it to him on a digital audio tape and never got a note only got, okay, the next one's coming in five days and just scored the whole thing wall to wall at home. It was fun. And I loved that show. Yeah, loved it. I had no idea, no idea it became such a big thing till about 2015. I think somebody wrote me about yeah. it. Nobody ever mentioned really? it past that. I would deliver. I never heard a thing. I never watched it. Uh, I knew nothing. I just thought, this is great. I hope it doesn't fail. How funny is that, that Saban called you and told you, oh, there's this show that nobody gives a damn about. And I was thinking, yeah. what are you talking about? Because <laughs> I remember <laughs> my whole childhood, like everybody was talking about Dragon Ball Z, man. That was like the itch, you know? <laughs> So, well, that's been I mean, kind of part of my life. I've scored. I mean, I don't watch that much anyways, and I've really sure. rarely, if ever, watched anything I've scored when it's done or airing. But, uh, I mean, I still haven't watched this 30-year reunion, and I probably really? never will. Okay. Uh, the only thing is they told me I got a credit at the front, which is a very you big sure deal. You sure so I did. went and I, I went right up to that, and I went, shit. Yep. This is wonderful. And that's as far as I watched it. But also remember, I worked on it for six weeks, day and night. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not like I don't know the story plot or anything. Right. Of course. But yeah, it's 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 just uh, but everything I did, including my son's childhood, when he was really small, I was doing more sitcoms and stuff for slightly older Mm -hmm. And some teenager shows. Right. And then as soon as he got old enough to watch that, then I went back to little kid shows and he was a little mm -hmm. bit too old. for it. So he has missed my entire career, which is just <laughs> except for some of the stuff I did for SpongeBob. We were in sync for a moment, but I didn't do that much <laughs> for SpongeBob. But Man, he would go, that's I've you. And I'm like, yeah. Something I've learned through comedy is uh, is that all generations understand SpongeBob references. So, like, yeah. as long as as long as you know a little bit of SpongeBob, you're cool to pretty much everybody, you know. Yeah. So, at least you got that. You know, that's how funny is that, man? Like, at the because <laughs> at the end of the day, it's our kids that tell us that we aren't shit. You know what I mean? Like. So I've had so many times I've pulled him in on stuff and said, what do you think of this? Especially this video game I've been scoring. He's like, yeah, that's badass. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> I said, thank you. Thanks for your, thank you for your, you know, it's important. And course, other times yeah. I've played him stuff and he's like, uh, and stuff that's done fine. But right. he's come back and he said, yes, I like it. There's something I'm like, just, <laughs> that's enough that's all you have to say i'll go back i'll, I'll tweak it have you thought about yeah, adding the word fight or combat <laughs> yeah or putting a how about a large gong or bell sound uh tubular bell sound for the hole in x-men see that he would have thought that up because there was see, a blank I'll spot <laughs> <laughs> so, um, full disclosure, I watched your podcast interview with uh, Andre Meadows with uh, Black Nerd Comedy. Love him mm -hmm. so much. And I mean, my brain exploded when you said that you just put a random gong in the X-Men theme. <laughs> 
And I was just I knew, like, yes, this is great. I knew because I kept the thing, the notes were always, you know, we can't hear the digga digga digga. So I turned that up. Oh, now we can't hear the hi hat, which has just been like a joke forever with how many hi hat tracks there were. Right. And then we, now we can't hear this. Now we can't hear this. So I just said, Oh my gosh, there's going to be this 10 millisecond hole here. And somebody's going to come back and say, wait a minute, what goes on here? So I just went, dong. <laughs> there is literally not a millisecond of silence. <laughs> It is a wall of sound. Yeah, it is so funny. <laughs> that is wild, man, that like that they would just be like, oh, well, there is there's like a second, a half of a quarter of a quarter yeah. out of sound <laughs> that you need. So yeah. um, and you also had to write everything and, and mix it because they were still up. The same with Power Rangers, same with the mm -hmm. songs. You always had to check mono compatibility because right. a majority of the country didn't have stereo yet. Exactly. And yeah. if you have your frequencies up, up, uh, conflicting with each other or you have phase cancellation problems, there's times you go down the mono and you're like, where did the guitars go? Where did this go? So everything was delivered in mono and stereo per market as far as I know. I don't really know how that that side works. Yeah. But I just went mono. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Beatles were doing shit in stereo. And we I know. Stuff in mono. It's yeah. almost, it's, we're in the 1990s. Yeah. That's what, what a weird thing, man. That's, that's wild. I, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of come back to that now where like, even when I'm recording my podcast, I have to send it back in mono so they can then make it in stereo i don't know what they do but again it's the same exact thing because the voice sounds better in mono for some strange reason i don't know why yeah but beats yeah me. it's yeah it's super weird um but man ron this is so incredible i have a couple more questions for you but first i just need to sure. say thank you so much for doing this it means the entire world that you took some time uh to talk to me um you mean so much to me as well as millions and millions and millions of people um because you've created you know just such great music for great things. And, uh, and I didn't want that to go unnoticed. Um, oh, so thank you. I just thank wanted, you so much. Of course, man. I, I just wanted to say that before, you know, I, I ask you these last couple of things here. Um, but the first question that I want to ask you here is what advice would you give to your younger self? If you could talk to them right now. Hmm. Don't do anything different. I would follow the, you know, with all the, uh, as I've, as I've said in other interviews, what I went through, uh, you know, I grew up poor and then kind of tried to find my way to do things, which was fine. And then worked a lot of horrible jobs mm -hmm. while trying to figure out maybe I should go into music and then join bands and then figured out I could write better than, the other people kind of took over, started learning to produce, weaseled my way into studios, um, doing anything up to without knowingly even doing it, like delivering drugs because right. somebody had a home studio. Go, hey, take this, uh, take this bag over to my friend. Here's the address. And then oh I come back with a bag 
And uh, they'd go like, cool, uh, go ahead and use the studio. Anything to just sit in the studio. And Man. then really almost being homeless at times, at the absolute lower, lowest, I was living in the valley and on Laurel Canyon and Riverside was of Mrs. Gooch's, which turned into Whole Foods. And I remember sometimes literally going into the trash dumpster to grab something because they would throw away food that was still wrapped. Mm -hmm. And then and then breaking and then the eighties bands making a little bit running up terrible debt and then ending up at Saban. I mean, it's been exactly what you need to do to be to, to first always give back once something happens, always make time to talk to people like we are yeah. and appreciate every second, but realize it could all disappear in a second. And, and what you do is no more important than what anybody else does. So I am glad I've been through it all, including playing in bands and grabbing my gear and jumping out of a window because there's a fight breaking out. People are being stabbed. I mean, wow. I have seen it all. Hell I've had people OD in front of me, people yeah. and roadies commit suicide. It's just been, it has been quite an experience. Yeah. So course. I wouldn't I mean, trade anything it, unless maybe I would say, Go to law school and be a lawyer. <laughs> right. I'd be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's and that's the funny thing, right? Is that if we were to be like, you know, hey, we're a musician 30 years later or 40 years later. But you know what? Go to law school. Like, you'd be miserable if you did. So you'd end yeah. up still staying the path, you know, because if I told myself, oh, go go to law school, I wouldn't do it. Like, I can't. I, I'm yeah, me either. that person. Yeah, I'm not that person at all. Um, man, first of all, to everything that you just said, that deserves a giant hell yeah. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> because, it's so it's so inspiring and like and again i i really relate to you because when i was living out in la before i i came back here i was homeless for a little while i was living in my car and um and man i i i told this story once and and it was it was so funny because i was talking to one of my comedian friends and i was like i i had no money in fact the only money i had left was to buy like a chi one chicken tender at Popeye's and I just was <laughs> and I went to Popeye's and I was crying eating this chicken tender at Popeye's and he stopped me and he goes he goes is that is that the Popeye's on Hollywood Boulevard and I said yeah and he goes dude I cried at that same Popeye's <laughs> and it's like it's this beautiful thing that like every performer in LA has been through something you know and oh yeah like, it's it's awesome like in in a weird way like we have this kinship this like sibling ship with each other where we're like hey man like i see your pain and i know where you've been like we're war buddies in a lot of ways yeah and and i'm telling you that the the best path has been this slow slowly getting up the ladder slowly opening doors because people i know that had early success um their later lives have been a bit of a mess because yeah, they, they were young. They were making a ton of money. They were, some of them were well-known and, you know, they started living that lifestyle. I didn't have time. I didn't have the money, but I didn't have yeah. the time to even 
or, or and I just like never did hard drugs, but I mean, yeah. I just, it was never there and they did. And now they're screwed up. And now I'm like pretty happy with everything. Right. So it's good. Yeah. It's, it's all about slowly getting somewhere. And that's why I've told young composers when they want to break in and they think they're going to get an agent. I've never even had an agent. Right. It's all about meeting people. It's all about, and you start off by knocking on a production company's door and basically saying, I make great coffee. I'm available 24 seven. I'm your bitch. And if yeah. you're brilliant, my friend did that at, for, with Hans Zimmer company really? and then he ended up doing the sample libraries and then he ended up scoring and then unfortunately some stuff happened and he had to take care of do other things he still writes yeah. but that's what he did he knocked on the door and said i'll I, i'll live here i'll do whatever I, you need and yeah, they said come I on mean, in yeah the worst thing that I, I always thought this when I was out in LA was I was like the worst thing anybody can say to me is no. And I already don't have it. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing yeah. bad can really happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's so true. just I mean, try, it's... just try, you know? And yeah, I'm and, definitely, and... yeah, I have the confidence where I'm like, if you just let me in the door, I'll give you every reason to keep me in your office, but just let me in. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then you take their advice and nothing you do is precious. I mean, I've had times I've written something that I went, wow, this is perfect. And they came back and said, do something completely different. Right. Uh, this happened to Randy Newman on Toy Story. He really? delivered some part of the score or the songs. And he said he told this in front of the Disney people at a composer awards thing, which he's a brave man. But he I was he, that, he's so, so famous. Yeah. But he was saying he, he sat there and he said the Disney people said, well, we don't like this. We don't like that. So he said, I just sat there and I said, OK, time for me to lower my expectations and went <laughs> back. And if what he did was lowering expectations, then uh, that was yeah. crazy. I mean, he also said at one point he pulled out his. No, go At ahead. Point, he pulled out his wallet. He said his reasoning to lower his expectations to what he wants is he pulled out his wallet and started petting it and saying, you're going to love this movie. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes, Such a funny dude. guy. Yes, dude. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. And, but everybody and gets so notes. Yeah, everybody gets notes. And it's funny how you say, like, you know, to Randy Newman, lowering your expectations is what we ended up getting in Toy Story, which is like, yeah, which you know, an amazing score, <laughs> you know, amazing like, score. And some lives of the best on, will live I on mean, forever, live on past uh, us, you know, like, I mean, it's wild, you know. Um, and the such last a question, early Americana style the guy has, just, he's just, of course, from another planet. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, the the last question I have for you, Ron, is what do you think that the that that kid that you were growing up would think of who you are now? He would really say you you did what? Yeah. Because it's not like I wanted to be a rock star or anything else. I mean, my goal when I was young is I thought if I can ever make. 35,000 or 50,000 a year, I am mm. going to be just so happy. Right. Just so, so happy. If I can ever just make that, because 
that much money even in two years. Just right. It wasn't about making money though. It's just I saw that lifestyle. You're in LA. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm driving a car that the wheels are falling off of next to a Bentley with or a Rolls Royce with Al Pacino in it. Right. Yeah, it's just it's so diverse and it's so so uh I think and, and that little kid couldn't even never even dreamt of this, never thought about even going into music really was, had no idea. My, man. my whole, I had no plan. That's crazy. So man. I think the kid would be shocked. Shocked. But I also feel like at the same time, like that's pretty badass, you know, like, especially like getting to create all the stuff that you've created and even full circle, you know, to, how you know we we talked about it before but it it was such a full circle moment where they didn't want to put your name on power rangers and in this new special it is front and center you know music there is karma yeah there is karma and there is there is justice you just have to wait uh you know and obviously i was credited in uh in uh, a a million other things and with disney but also yeah but there really is a you just have to be patient for all that you go through in this business. If you just stay persistent, always nice. Um, Cause there's no reason to get upset about anything. Just stay cool, be nice and be persistent and tenacious and yeah. always try to be better than the other guy you're competing against somehow. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is really difficult. Cause the competition's the fierce. Oh yeah, absolutely. Man, Ron Wasserman, everybody. Oh my gosh. Um, where can everybody find you online? Uh Ron W R O N W dot com. Nice. Or just uh, Google my name. There's lots of funny stuff and a lot of yeah. bad pictures of me. <laughs> 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 I love it, man. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, for me, you can find me on Instagram at Mike Valdez, uh, on my TikTok at official Mike Valdez. You can, uh, also, uh, find anything else that you want as far as the shows, uh, that I'm performing or videos, clips, anything at thekidfromup.com. That is a real website until Disney sues me. And, um, other than that, thank you so much for listening. Uh, don't lose your sense of childlike wonder. Bye, besties. Bye.